0: Welcome to UX Soup, a short-form podcast that looks beyond the buzzwords to give you the latest developments impacting the user experience of personal devices and services in the home, in the car, and while mobile. I am Chris Schreiner. Lisa and Derek have the podcast off today. As always, UX Soup is presented by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients insights, analysis, and expertise. Today, we're going to talk about healthcare UX. And we will be joined today by Santosh Basapur. Santosh is the director of projects at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. He is also adjunct faculty at IIT Institute of Design. And Santosh will be talking to us today about conducting UX research in the healthcare field, doing it during time of a pandemic, as well as some insights that he has in teaching the next generation of UX professionals. Santosh, welcome to UX Soup. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us today. So first, I wanted to get some background on what you're doing now. You joined mm-hmm. Rush University Medical Center. I was wondering if you could describe the types of research that you do there. Uh, get a little bit into how how you're doing research at Rush.
1: So, um, hey everyone, uh, my name is Santosh Basapur, and I'm a Um, Director of Design at Rush, and recently, as of this Monday, I'm a Senior Director of Project Management at Rush. uh, So I'm changing roles as we speak. Um, Congratulations. uh, Thank you. Uh, As far as research goes, uh, we are, I would say I would describe them into three different categories. Um, One is how do you transform healthcare education um, using um, user-centered design methods or human-centered design techniques as the basis? Second is um, actual healthcare interventions and service designs. So those are mostly into the areas of what kind of clinical services we are, are offered to people, how is the service design, how, what can we do about it from a human-centered point of view, how to make sure, make sure they're desirable, viable, and feasible as a service. Um, that's healthcare-related directly. And the third angle that I've seen less spoken about is the healthcare research itself. Like how are we affecting as human centered designers or medical human factors professionals on the healthcare research, the transformation of research techniques, processes and clinical trials. Um, How do we affect that as the system um, researchers? So those are the three categories, education, healthcare interventions and healthcare research transformation.
0: So healthcare research, user centered Mm -hmm. research can be uh, quite challenging uh, to mm-hmm. to do can you talk about some of the the methodologies that you use how to get some of this research done considering that you ha- likely have to get the buy-in and cooperation from a lot of different stakeholders
1: the the three silos that i talked about have different subtle approach uh, approaches uh, that change in the Education. Uh, We are trying to actually incorporate human-centered design uh, techniques or research techniques to understand people, um, research techniques to um, synthesize solutions that are more people-focused. We are trying to teach that to the M1 and M2 students at Rush University. So we're trying to go and change the way medical education happens at Rush. Um, On the second uh, level, uh, which is the healthcare intervention, Uh, we have a lean team of three designers at Rush right now, and we uh, engage in, um, it's a a full-fledged design research team. We uh, we deploy all the human factors, methodologies we know. So, for example, for research phases, we do home visits, ethnographies, uh, we do surveys, we do, um, I wouldn't call them focus groups. Uh, We have moved them on to more of a co-design session with people. We call them design studios these days at uh, Rush. So these are uh, stakeholder um, studios where people co-design on solutions with us. But before that, the primary research of going into people's homes or talking to people, understanding the needs has happened before these methods deploy. Um, and then eventually out of these, uh, we then apply the service design techniques to design solutions that have been um, deemed necessary by the people. So then we start designing the final solutions that get blueprinted and given to the teams that need to change their intervention or their service at the clinic level. And the third one, we are trying to do workforce change about how do you do clinical trials, um, retention issues, recruitment issues of clinical trials. We conduct research to directly address those issues that are causing delays or causing clinical trials not to progress at the rate they were expected to be progressing or um, towards completion. So we try to help them execute the clinical trial so that they get completed on time and on budget.
0: Often UX professionals are asked to, to provide what the return on investment is of the, the UX research that they do. So yes, they do. <laughs> how do you, uh, in the healthcare industry determine, you know, the effectiveness of, of some of the studies that you undertake and some of the design recommendations that you make.
1: So, so that's that's a very good question and and as a professional who is more in the applied side of things um, we struggle with it as a team on on a very regular basis so for each project we have made it a point to include the stakeholders in defining what success is um, because these are such custom boutique projects even within an institute that that you got to have to start on each project by defining what it means, the scope and the success criteria. And usually, for example, in a clinical setting, it's patient satisfaction. It's um, how many no-shows are, like reduction of no-shows, efficiency measures like that. We track those and see if our solutions are affecting them. Uh, And those are co-created with the people who administer these clinics so that they define with us, like when we deploy these changes that we are requesting from research side, when they're deployed, will those measures be met? And can we track those measures? Because we need to have those surveys in place before we deploy the changes. So, yes, so the the ROI and how we measure that is usually predetermined for each project on a custom basis between the stakeholders and us as a design team. And they include reduction in um, no-shows, throughput increase, uh, like how many patients we are able to see per day basis, there's a lot of different kinds of measures for that. And and those are all, um, every measure is okay if it is agreed upon that it's important and we need to track it.
0: And of course, right now we're in the midst of a pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there is a lot of focus <laughs> there <laughs> yes, uh, regarding there COVID-19. What are you doing from a user experience perspective?
1: Um, so first I'd express what has happened, right? Um, the pandemic has accelerated every project by like nth degree, uh, because we were working on multiple digital transformation projects, multiple service design projects, and the pandemic just came in and made going digital or digital transformation as the key aspect because patients don't want to come to the clinic and we want to be offering the services even though they're not coming to the clinic. So the adoption of technology and telehealth has happened like in two months that has I've not seen it happen in the last 20 years. Like one of the subject matter experts like a pulmonologist is like, he, he, he said this to me saying, I would have never said that I can understand and diagnose issues for people with breathing remotely on a telehealth application, because I need to touch the person's chest and hear the lungs and then diagnose. Mm -hmm. And this guy is a 60-year-old expert, he's been practicing for 30-plus years, and he goes, I adopted telehealth within a wink and a beat of a heart. So that's the level of speed of adoption and change we're talking about, so that's what I want to make sure that that context is clear to the audience of your podcast. Uh, With that in mind, what I was involved in personally, so that change is happening across institute and across institutes of healthcare. As being an academic health center, uh, I was involved, I'm involved right now in a project where we are trying to ease the stress of the families with their near and dear ones in the ICU. So imagine the situation, right? Your your loved one goes into the ICU and then the family cannot visit them, cannot see them. Um, They just can only hear updates over a telephone. So that's the situation when it comes to ICUs and handling the masses that we have never handled before, like the numbers are so high that we've never handled them before. So one of the projects I initiated, and um, we are carrying it out as of now, is we tracked hundreds of families, and I have personally talked to 60 of them, and tried to understand what happens to the family from a communication perspective when they Uh, get the update or when they don't get the update and the kind of form in which they get the update, right? About the loved one in the ICU. So we have deployed, uh, we quickly were able to come up with a solution and deploy it. It's a one page summary of the situation of the patient every day. Literally it's a one page summary sent over email. One of the doctors who leads this project, writes that up uh, and sends it to the patient's families. And patient's families have loved it because It gives them a solid piece to hold in their hand and read once they get the information from the doc saying, this is the summary of your loved one for today. And and something as basic and as simple as that, like we in the design world or we in the human factors world would have assumed that those things happen, right? Oh, the, the, the ICU talks to the patient's families every day. They send a summary of what's going on. None of that happens in the ground, right? Because families come to the ICU in person and the nurse tells them what's going on. And if they have a doubt and they attend the rounding of the doctor in the morning and the doctor tells them what's going on. So there has never been a need for this supplement to communication before Mm -hmm. because everybody is in person. They are at the actual ICU because doctors are there, nurses are there, the family is there. And suddenly we had to come up with the intervention overnight to fix that problem because now that cannot happen anymore because now COVID COVID had hit and was taking severe toll on the doctor's time and the nurse's time. And doctors cannot attend phone calls. There's no bandwidth to attend phone calls. We tried to increase increase our bandwidth in every which way we could think of. Like students were answering the phone, residents were answering the phone, doctors were answering the phone, other doctors who were on vacations were answering the phone of the family. So that we we tried to increase it in every which way. But um, then the solution of sending emails with uh, summaries turned out to be very effective. So that gives you a perspective of what a user centered designer does right in a situation like a pandemic. You see the problem, you look at it, you analyze it, and you quickly say, here is my professional experience. And with that, I can think of this one solution Deploy it quickly and let's see what happens. And we talked to 60 families and they have reported, qualitatively speaking, uh, reduction in stress, reduction in anxiety. And they have also talked about how this acts as a way they track the progress. That artifact acts as a boundary object of communication between themselves and the families, the extended friends and uh, relative circle. So that one piece of paper that we sent has become like a major means of communication between the people and the ICO and the people and their family extended family Wow so, so that's how I can describe a project to you
0: so from for that project, from the identification that this project had to be done to the solutions that you're recommending being implemented, how long did that take
1: so it was almost like hijacking a different project. So we were already trying to understand, can summaries be given to patients in, in a, in a pre, pre-COVID cycle? right? So we had initiated a project where we we're trying to understand how nurses communicate with the families and how we can help supplement that because nurses do spend a lot of time on the phone and we we're trying to get their stress down a little by reducing the number of phone calls. So we had started that. We're trying to understand the burden on the nurses and the burden on the doctor and the burden on the family to communicate via phone. But when the COVID hit and they stopped the communication, like the visits in person completely, we had to accelerate it. I would say within like a, that project was transformed within a week. And um, Dr. Greenberg, who is my uh, uh, lead from the medical side on this project, he immediately started uh, saying that we need to understand how these summaries are helping or not helping the families, and we started interviewing them. He would set up the schedule, he would set it up with the family, and I would immediately follow up with each family to talk to them and understand their uh, like um, reaction to the intervention, which was the summary, and how they felt, and how did it actually play a role in the communication that they had with the institute and with their extended family and friends circle. It was like a, I would say, five, six days process where we switched our project completely and wow. focused it more on the families.
0: So I wanted to, to finish up with a couple of professional mm-hmm. questions. First, your history hasn't always been in medical. Uh, you've also been in, yep. in smartphones, you've been in, in media experience. What would you say to people that UX professionals that are looking to switch fields and maybe get into medical?
1: Be patient and persevere, I guess, comes first to mind. But um, yeah, it, it's. I think it's like being a, a good person, a good researcher with a good toolbox, right? Once you can achieve a toolbox that has wide variety of tools in your kit and some expertise on using those tools, I don't think the exact nature of the domain itself matters much. Like if I can do a good job deploying human-centered techniques in smart home environment, understand the needs of a people in a high rise and develop solutions for those, it's very similar techniques and tools being used in a hospital setting. But the big change that you got to understand going from say media experiences or smart homes to um, wellness experiences and healthcare experiences is the angle of systemic complexity. It's healthcare is a truly complex system unlike any other technological world we see that's why healthcare itself lags behind by like 10, 20 years with respect to the, like say, the financial fintech industry or something. Um, so you've got to be okay with that complexity and you've got to be okay with the um, regulatory oversight that you have to face. Like for every research, the whole IRB complication, getting the systems approval, the, it's, it's literally you have to navigate the management by committee's culture of healthcare. Mm-hmm. And if you're okay with that, then there's definitely an impact to be had. And the reason why we one should shift to healthcare, uh, despite all the things I've told is, because that's the area that really needs meaningful impact by researchers like us. That is the area that needs human-centered designers, human-centered researchers to come in and say, here is how you do the, do the change, here is why you do the change, and here is what a solution will look like so that the systems actually start moving towards the change that we desire.
0: And finally, as your other role as Edge adjun- Up, faculty at the Illinois Institute of Design, uh, mm-hmm. what advice do you give your students who are just starting out? Do you have like a, a, a set of, I don't know, prof- professorial advice, advice that
1: you give? Them? <laughs> uh, I don't know about professorial advice, but uh, I do speak up um, quite a bit about um, empathy doesn't always just solve the problem. So what I try to tell my students is like, You have to be empathetic to understand the situation, to understand where somebody's actions are motivated from, like what place the people are coming from when they're doing some activity that you guys are, like we as professionals are researching. But empathy by itself will not solve that problem. So you will have to have that ability as a researcher and a designer of solutions to have empathetic hat on when you're doing the research, understand the scenario, but then take the empathetic hat off or think systemically saying that when you design a solution, how all stakeholders are addressed, not just the end user, not just the business, not just the technologist at the table. So you've got to have that ability to bridge the different disciplines and create the solution that is actually a viable solution that can be tried out in the real world. So more about have empathy, but also learn to have empathy for all the other stakeholders, not just the end user, I guess. And I think that's a great place to end it. Santosh, thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. All pleasure is mine.
0: That's all for now. Thanks very much for listening. A reminder that UX Soup is sponsored, as always, by Strategy Analytics. Check out the latest user-focused insights on mobile automotive and the smart home by visiting strategyanalytics.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn through visiting our show page at ux-soup at captivate.fm. Please remember to subscribe to UXSoup on your favorite platform. We can also rate and review our show. Thanks again. Bye for now.